to my listeners and viewers who are watching on YouTube. Uh, welcome to the next episode of the Talking Sira podcast. Um, so in today's episode, we want to speak about how the Messenger وسلم, now moved to the next phase of the da'wah, the open call, where he now was facing society, he was confronting society with his group, with his uh, core group of Sahaba. Uh, that he had trained and uh, developed to a stage, um, in, as we spoke about last week in Darul Arkham, uh, where they were ready to face uh, Quraysh and, and that hostility that they were inevitably going to face. So in the previous episode, if we cast our minds back, we spoke about how the Messenger وسلم, really um, wanted to embed this kind of Islamic personality within this core group. He um, was It was a private phase, so it wasn't an open invitation, but he was selecting and targeting certain Muslims, certain people he knew that would embrace Islam and be willing uh, to kind of um, join his mission. So we spoke about how Darul Arkham, the house of uh, house of Al Arkham, was chosen as this place of study, this place of education, and uh, really developing and training the Sahaba. Um, and why the Messenger chose it. So um, it was one of these places because Al Arkham was secretly a Muslim. He was uh, very young at age as well, and he was from a tribe that was from kind of the the higher higher tribes that um, the, the Quraysh wouldn't really suspect him to have become Muslim or his house to be used as a place for the for the Messenger to train the Sahaba. Uh, but then we also spoke about how the Messenger, what you know, what what was the focus of study? What was the focus of training? It was very much the foundations of Islam. It was the Aqidah of Islam. Uh, making the Sahaba understand their purpose in life, uh, their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their belief that the Qur'an is the word and speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, what, they, what it did, it developed this personality within them. It gave them the confidence of Islam. Uh, they now had, you know, their reference point was now Islam. Anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered for them to do, anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited for them to do, they would do it um, straight away with, with no question because they had this certainty within them. They had no doubt whatsoever in Islam or the Quran or the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is really important because as Muslims even today, you know, many of us may have inherited Islam from our parents. Many, many of us may just be Muslim in the sense that our parents were Muslim. So it's very important that we go back to the core uh, you know the core sources of Islam, the Quran and the Sunnah, and make sure that we we understand and have this belief rationally, very really thinking about it, that we know that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is one. He is He is our Creator. We know that the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the Quran, and this is our guidance, our Furqan. Um, we also spoke about how now the the Sahaba um, they reached a level where they were willing to kind of put anything, their life on the line for Islam. So this really brings us on to today's episode where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now, now orders the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam to move to the next phase, the, the open call. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, in a few ayat, he informs the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam now to proclaim openly. So now that the Sahaba, they were sufficient in number, this core group, they were sufficient in number and also they were at the right level. They had this foundation embedded in them and they were at the level to take Islam openly to society. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to kind of, in a collective manner as a group, 
to confront society. He subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنذِرْ أَشِيرَتَكَ akrabin And warn your nearest kinsmen. So he's telling the Messenger go to your tribe, go to your nearest kinsmen and warn them about what they face if they don't embrace Islam, if they don't embrace this mission of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala also says, فَاسْدَعْ بِمَا تُؤْمَرُوا وَعَرِذْ mushrikeen." So expand openly when you are commanded and turn away from the polytheists. So he's telling the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, now it's time to go and openly Tell the, the the society, the Quraysh, about Islam. Don't hide away. Don't um, don't lose confidence. Take that core group of Sahaba and openly warn uh, society at large. Um, so as soon as these verses and these ayat were revealed to the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he straight away uh, went with his Sahaba and he went out into society to warn them about what was what was coming if they had not embraced Islam, and and he gave them the message of Islam to embrace. So as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the messenger, warn your nearest kinsman, this is exactly what the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa did. He actually arranged a feast for his close family, his close tribe, uh, which consisted of maybe 40 people. He arranged a feast at his place um, on the basis that he would feed them, he would welcome them and he would give them the message of Islam. He would invite them to embrace Islam. So subhanAllah, uh, the first time he did this, he did it and he, he, you know, he went more softly and he didn't want to rush into it. So he allowed them to finish um, eating their food. And subhanAllah, uh, one of the enemies of Allah, enemies of Islam, Abu Lahab, his uncle, he really understood what was happening. He, he got the gist that the Messenger was going to you know, embrace, talk about Islam and, and ask them to embrace Islam. So he tried to disrupt and, you know, take people away so when he realized this he um he said i have never seen a person bring as bad a thing to this tribe as you have bought to the messenger sallallahu wasallam and he got up and he went subhanallah he even ate the food and everything but he got up and went and after he went all the other you know m- many of the um, family of the messenger sallallahu and his tribesmen they started to walk out so messenger he didn't really achieve what he wanted to do but he didn't lose heart Again, he thought, I'll, I'll do another invitation. And on the second invitation, he didn't, you know, wait around with niceties. He didn't, you know, allow them to finish the food. He went straight into it. He arranged a feast and he went straight into it. And he said that, uh, you know, I've been ordered Allah by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to proclaim the message of La ilaha illallah. That there is no God but Allah. And warn them about the consequences if they didn't embrace Islam, if they didn't embrace the truth, and about Judgment Day and the consequences of their actions. Um, so he invited them to Islam. He asked them, "Who will join me on this mission? Who will uh, support my mission?" And Subhanallah, he heard, you know, it was, it was like a pin drop silence. No one really responded. Only the young Ali, radiallahu anhu, he responded, and he. Um, he said, look, I will support you, O Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam." And subhanAllah, he did. He, he didn't just support him from his young age. He did, supported him from throughout the life of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And even afterwards, he became obviously a great, great khalif in Islam. Um, and he, he did much for Islam, subhanAllah. So, you know, it wasn't as much as Allah, um, the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam would have wanted from his tribesmen. Uh, but, you know, at least Ali and the young Ali embraced Islam and maybe some others as well. Abu Talib, the, the father of Ali, his uncle, um, he did, however, say that he would support the Messenger as he had already, already been doing. So he didn't remove his support or protection. He, he didn't embrace Islam, but he did say that he would support 
the Messenger in this mission in terms of protecting him as, as an individual. So the question really is, why did the Quraysh, by and large, most of the Quraysh, why did they reject or oppose the message of La ilaha illallah when it came out to society? Why did they have this hostility straight away? And there are many reasons, but inshallah we'll go through a few of these reasons, uh, the main reasons maybe, uh, maybe, maybe there's more. Uh, the first reason is, let's understand what it means, this, this statement of La ilaha illallah. What does it really mean? And why is it such a, uh, a big statement? You know, we all say it from the tip of our tongues, but do we really understand what it means and what it entails? So for the Quraysh, they understood what it meant. And that is why they showed this rejection and showed this hostility. So if we break it down, so there's two parts of this uh, statement, the shahada. La ilaha. So la ilaha illallah, um, it has two parts to it. One is the negation, la, that there's nothing worthy of worship. Illallah, affirmation, that except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So... When, uh, in the terms of negation, what uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from us is that we negate any source, any form of worship in anything, whether it be idols, whether it be uh, ideas, anything that we should not place anything in a position of worship at all. You know, literally, there is no nothing worthy of worship. That's what it means, negating every single thing uh, that could be worthy of worship. And for the Quraysh, this was difficult because they had placed idols, they had placed, as we've spoken about in previous episodes, many idols in the Kaaba, in their homes, traveling with them. You know, they'd have all of these idols. So th- what this statement meant, what the Shahada meant, is to reject all of these and th- to, you know, put these, uh, destroy these idols and destroy these hopes in um, salvation from things and, and putting partners besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first part of the statement is negation. La ilaha. And then the second part is affirmation. Illallah. So now that you have negated every single form of worship, except now you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Illallah. So this is the affirmation that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that right to be worshipped. And only He you will obey in His commands and you'll stay away from all that He has prohibited. And you will believe in His names and attributes and all of this that it entails. So again, this is something that the Quraysh were not willing to do. They had multiple gods. They believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they had multiple partners that they have done shirk with Allah, basically. They had placed partners with Allah. So this was one of the reasons that when they heard this statement and when Allah, uh, when the Messenger was asking, give me this one word, give me this one statement, they rejected by and large because this was totally against their belief system. So number two, what was another reason why they rejected and this showed this animosity? The, the, and I think it's very important and something that we can relate to today is that Islam and the message of Islam and the message of La ilaha illallah came to radically change the society. It came to challenge the status quo. It didn't come to fit in. Islam as a message and, an, and as an idea and as an ideology, it's not here just to fit in with kufr. It's not here to fit in with falsehood. Whether that be the pagan society of Quraysh, or it be today in the secular capitalistic society, which um, is a godless society. Islam hasn't come just to fit in. Islam has come to actually destroy all that, this foundation that all of this uh, secularism is based on, this paganism of the Quraysh. It came to remove all of this, challenge that status quo and clash with uh, this uh, this other belief system and you know, establish Islam upon 
the, the heaps of this kind of after destroying uh, all the previous beliefs. So because of this and because the Quraysh had understood that, look, this is coming to challenge our status quo. This has come to challenge our, our, our idols. It's come to challenge the way we do our thing. Um, our our values and the fact that they didn't treat daughters properly, that they, they used to, um, you know, deal with riba, they used to drink alcohol, all of their value system it came to challenge. So that is why the Quraysh were very much ardently against the message of Islam. They didn't merely see it as a religion, right? They didn't see it as something that is worshipped, something that you do in your home, something that you do in the mosques and the masajid. They viewed it as a radical uh you know, change to society, a radical change to the status quo. And, you know, this word radical, this uh, this this term that we hear often today, uh, you know, in this society where they are trying to um, have a war on radicalism or war on Islam, um, very much they give this negative connotation of radical, right? And obviously, there's things that in Islam we know what is allowed or what is not allowed. But the word radical from its root, there's actually nothing wrong with it because any change in society is going to be radical. You know, if a change isn't radical, then what is it actually changing? Let's just give an example of something that we see today, like with the Brexit. With Brexit, this is a radical change. They won't call it this, but it's a radical change. They have been for years in the European Union, this European bloc. Um, they've had these trade, uh, trade um, partnerships with all these European countries. Now with Brexit, when it happens, there'll be a radical change because they'll need new trade partnerships. They'll have to make partnerships with the US, with Canada and other other nations because they don't have this, you know, the system that they were in. So this is radical. This is a radical change. So likewise, when it comes to Islam, when it comes to the Islamic system, we're looking for a radical change. We're not looking for mere change in the terms of just calling it change. We're looking for something that uh, challenges the status quo, challenges the norm. And this is what the Quraysh were also against. They didn't want to uh, do away with the, the, you know, they were making money from idols. This was their business. So they weren't willing to move away from this and, and allow Islam to come and challenge this and, and take all of their wealth away. And that, that moves us on to some other reasons. Um, but before moving on, just really quickly, one of the other things that um, we find a, a similarity with today is that it's usually the authority. And Allah, and in Islam, we call this al-mala. The authority, the people of power, the people who have the greatest to lose, they are the ones who um, fear Islam the most. Because the leader, leadership who have their positions of power, their thrones, they know that with Islam, when Islam is implemented properly, they will lose the most. And this is what they are against. So the third reason really was jealousy. The Quraysh and the, um, the, like, the leaders of Quraysh, they were jealous of the Messenger They were often jealous of his tribe. Um, Abu Jahl, who was the most ardent enemy of Islam in the early days, he, um, subhanAllah, he did lots to kind of stop um, the Messenger in, the, in his dawah and stop the Sahaba. And even, you know, he used to torture many of the Sahaba, as, and we will speak about this. But in fact, he was very jealous of uh, Banu Hashim, the tribe of the Messenger He was He was jealous of Muhammad in a, in a narration he, he once said, I know that he... The Messenger I know that he is telling the truth, but there's something holding me back. There's something holding me back. The descendants of Qusayr said, we want authority of Ad-Nadwa. Meaning the descendants of Qusayr, meaning the tribe of Muhammad They said, we want authority of Ad-Nadwa, the, the assembly of Quraysh. We gave it to them. You know, you can have this. 
Then they said, we want the authority of Hijabah, the guardianship of Al-Kaaba. We gave it to them. Then they said, we want the authority of Andilwa, banner of war. We gave it to them. Then they said, we want the authority of Rifada and Sikaya, providing the pilgrims with food and water. We gave it to them. So he basically is saying, look, we gave uh, Banu Hashim everything. We gave his tribe everything. And now that we were, he said, now that we were started to pick up and, and we started to compete with them, now they have declared a prophet amongst them. How can we even compare to, to this? How can we compete against this? And he said, by God, I will never accept this. SubhanAllah. So in this statement of his, he is accepting that Islam is the truth. He, he knows that Madhya is saying the truth. But because of this jealousy, because of this envy, envy, um, envy of the tribe of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi he is not willing to accept the Messenger sallallahu as the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So, you know, this was another reason. And the fourth reason, and we'll give a bit more about this, was wealth. The Quraysh and the, the enemies of Allah, they don't want to lose their wealth, right? So they they knew that if they accepted Islam, that meant that the business of idolatry. The business where lots of pilgrims were coming and they were selling idols and they were selling all of this idea of idolatry to them. This would all go, go because Islam doesn't accept this. Islam came to destroy all of this. And because of this wealth, they were unwilling to now embrace Islam because it meant that they were going to lose all of this. Subhanallah. And the Messenger ﷺ, he didn't beat around the bush with this. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Messenger ﷺ, and say I am indeed he who warns openly and without ambiguity. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, telling the Messenger وسلم, that warn the people openly without ambiguity. You know, go and warn them openly. Do not kind of beat around the bush and compromise. Say it openly and clearly. And the Messenger وسلم, did this in the incident of Mount Safa. So we should all know the incident of Mount Asafa. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it's a very, very common story and many of us know it. So what happened in, in a nutshell, what happened is the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, um, now that it was openly calling to Islam, um, there was this practice amongst uh, the Quraysh where when something was an emergency, when there was a message that needed to be told to all the people, they would stand upon Mount Safa and they would proclaim openly, Wa subaha. Wasubaha meaning it's an emergency. Come and listen. And the Quraysh, what they would do, they would send uh, either they'd come themselves or they would send a representative to go and listen to what is this message, what is this emergency. It was like a nine 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 call to the people that like, come and listen. So the Messenger وسلم, did exactly this. He went upon Mount Safa and he said, Wasubaha. So all the people came and they came to listen to what the Messenger وسلم, had to say. And Rasulullah asked them, if I tell you that there is an army behind this mountain, the mountain of... So he's facing the people and the, the mountain is behind him, right? They, so they can't see what's behind him. So he said, if I were to tell you that there was an army behind this mountain and they were about to ambush you, would you believe me? You know, would you believe me if I said this to you? And the people said to him, we have never heard you lie. We have never heard you speak a word of lie you've always spoken the truth because he was known as as-siddiq al-amin he was known as the truthful and trustworthy so they said we have never heard you lie so then rasulullah said 
I am here to warn you of a severe punishment that will befall you, befall you if you don't believe. So subhanAllah, they said that we never heard you lie. So the Messenger he was very, very astute and clever. And what he was trying to do is put the people in this position of, look, if I were to tell you something, would you believe me? And they affirmed. They said, yes, we would absolutely believe you because we've never heard you lie. And after this, the Messenger very intelligently said the statement that I've come here to warn you of a severe punishment if you don't embrace and if you don't believe in Islam. And subhanAllah, you know, as we're saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the Messenger to speak openly and truthfully. He didn't do any niceties in the sense of, you know, try to sugarcoat the message. He went plain and clearly said, the first thing he said to the Quraysh, I've come here to warn you. I've come here to tell you about a painful punishment if you don't embrace Islam. And when they heard this, when the people heard this, um, many of them kind of scoffed. And Abu Lahab, his uncle, as we've spoken about, he is the one who he spoke up. And he said, may evil befall you and the rest of your day. Is this what you called us to? I mean, is this, is this why you called an emergency? Because he was worried about his wealth. He was worried about what he had lost, the time he had lost in business because he had come here to listen to this message. And he was very angry because this is what meant most to them, their wealth. And they didn't want to lose it. And obviously he didn't, uh, he didn't support the Messenger So he said openly that, is this what you called? And he scoffed and he kind of rejected and was angry against the Messenger And in fact, many of the people were. Abu Lahab was, you know, saying it in words, but many really agreed with what Abu Lahab was saying. And, you know, the, the fact is, and really we see this today, that many people are unwilling to waste their time with the deen, unwilling to listen to Islam, even though this message it doesn't come at a cost. It doesn't come, no one's charging for this truth, truthful message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving. Not really. People are giving and there's open, you know, many places we can obtain the deen and obtain knowledge. Many don't have time. Because everyone, many people, not everyone, but a lot of people, they are you know, chasing money, they're chasing wealth. And they will be willing to pay hundreds and thousands to go to a lecture to listen about how you can become a millionaire and how you can obtain wealth. But when it comes to Islam and the deen, they don't have much time because this is not where their thought process is. And subhanAllah, it was very similar back then. The people were worried about their wealth, their business. Um, they didn't have time for the truth. They didn't have time for Islam. And subhanAllah, it's very, very similar. So this wasn't the only uh, occasion where Abu Lahab was showing his animosity and anger and hatred towards Islam. On many occasions, he was against the Messenger Wasallam, As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, you know, there's an entire surah dedicated towards Abu Lahab, uh, where he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tabbat yada abi lahabi watab. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, May the hands of Abu Lahab be ruined. And ruined is he. His wealth will not avail him or that which he gained. He will enter to burn in the fire blazing uh, with a fire of, fire of flame. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, Look, Abu Lahab perish his hands because what he did against the Messenger and his wealth will not avail him his all his riches he was you know his businessman his rich it won't avail him he will enter the fire and his wealth will not come there to save him and it won't avail any of us to be fair we won't take our wealth to our grave and 
you know, despite all that we have tried to gain in this dunya in wealth and all that Abu Lahab tried to gain, it didn't come to help him. And he will be perished and he will enter the fire, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And he was, you know, although he was an uncle of the Prophet, وسلم, he was his uncle, he had a hatred towards the Prophet, وسلم, even his wife did as well. They had a hatred towards the Messenger. So they would, every single opportunity they got, they would try to stop the da'wah. They would try to stop the Messenger وسلم, and the Sahaba um, in their tracks so that the da'wah would not spread. And subhanAllah, on one occasion where in Mecca, Mecca, this area of Mecca, the souks and the market, is known to be a busy place. Uh, people come to give do tawaf, people come to do business, as we find today as well, but even back then. So uh, the Messenger would use this place to go and give da'wah to the masses. He would go and tell people about Islam and ask them to come, come to Islam and embrace Islam. So Rabia bin Haddad says that uh, I saw the Messenger وسلم, in the market of Zul Majaj. That was the market's name. And he was saying, Oh you people, there's no God but Allah. And uh, believe in this and you will prosper. Muhammad uh, Sallam would meet new people and repeat this message. And basically he was given that one. And Rabia said that there was this man following him. And whoever the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would speak to, this man would go and speak to them again. Like He basically followed the Messenger and undo, undo his work. So he would say, don't believe him. He's He's a liar. And this Rabia, he said, this man was none other than Abu Lahab. So Abu Lahab, what he was doing is undoing the work and hard work of the Messenger and the Sahaba. Uh, when they were given that, way, he would go back and follow and try and undo this work and, and stop the message of Islam being spread. And subhanAllah, we see this today. You know, many da'is and da'wakars, they will want to give the message of Islam to Muslims and non-Muslims alike. But you'll find the enemies of Islam are enemies of Allah. They will try to find other ways to distract the people tell them that these people don't listen to them you know these people are extreme these people are radical these people uh, don't really um, represent islam in fact these people the people that do this they're the ones that are working for the government they're working for schemes like prevent and cve so that they you know they, they can fill their pockets with money and wealth from the government um and in you know against islam and stopping the message of islam being spread the truth being spread subhanallah so, and you know, it really highlights the character of the Messenger of that despite, you know, him, his work being undone by his uncle, he would carry on. He, you know, many of us, we seek motivation um, and inspiration from when our work, there is, you know, there are results. Because we live in kind of a result, uh, result, result mentality. So when we do something, we expect results. And many of the time, we expect immediate results. Um, this is natural, right? But um, the Messenger of even though you know, people weren't listening to him, people weren't embracing Islam um, at a large scale, he carried on. Um, and, and this is what we need to do as well, not, not be phased. You know, why are we doing this? We're not doing this for the results per se. We want this, but we're doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So maybe no one will listen to this podcast, no one will listen to uh, the message of Islam. But who, who cares really? Because in fact, we don't do it for the people, we don't do it for results or likes or shares or follows. We do it for the sake of Allah and Allah, may Allah keep us upon this intention. And we always want to renew our intentions so that it's purely for the sake and pleasure of Allah, as we should do in everything. SubhanAllah. So, you know, this was the actions of Abu Lahab, but, you know, it wasn't restricted to him. There were the many of the as I, as we were speaking about that al mala the authority the 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 leaders of Quraysh they were on a campaign against the Messenger because they rejected Islam and they wanted everyone else to reject Islam 
So what they did, they would lie against the Messenger ﷺ. They would they'd be libel against the Messenger. Tell the people that he was something else. And, you know, before the Hajj season, they recognized that, look, many people are going to come to do Tawaf and do Hajj. And, and there's going to be many, many people that the message of Islam can be spread to. And, and many may even embrace Islam. So knowing this, recognizing this, these people, what they did is they um, really wanted to think about, let's unify our position. Let's unify um, what we're saying against the messenger. Because if we all have a different opinion on what he is, some saying he's crazy, some saying he's a soothsayer, some saying he's a poet. If we all have different opinions, there's no credibility in what we are saying. So what they wanted to do, they wanted to came to Dar al-Nadwa and they wanted to unify their position so that when they could tell people what the Messenger was doing, even though it was a lie, it was it'd be unified and there would be some credibility in it. So the person who led this was none other than uh, Al-Walid bin Mughira. Uh, he was the main man who led this and he was a um, you know very versed in poetry and an intelligent man. So the people they said to Al-Walid, you tell us what you think, you know, we will abide by it. You agree, you tell us what you think, we'll abide by it. Walid said, you tell me. He asked the people, he asked Dar al-Nadwa, you tell me what you think. So they said, let's say, we will say that he is a soothsayer. And subhanAllah Walid said, I don't, I don't really think so. You know, he's not a soothsayer. He, don't, he doesn't have the characteristics of a soothsayer. Uh, we've seen these soothsayers. They, they, they rhyme their words. They have this mumbling. And the Messenger of meaning the Muhammad, he doesn't do this. So it's not really credible for us to say he's a soothsayer. Then they said, mm, let's say he's crazy. Let's say he's majnoon and he's possessed by spirits. And Walid said, he's not really crazy as well. You can't really see the traits of him being crazy. We've seen those who are crazy. We've seen uh, the characteristics. And he doesn't really have these erratic movements. And he doesn't really resemble someone who's crazy. So no one will believe us. We can't say he's crazy. So subhanAllah, they went and said, Maybe let's say he's a poet. So Walid said, but he's not a poet. You know, we know poetry. We are well versed in poetry and its metrical forms. And what he speaks and the Quran that he's speaking is not really poetry. And in another narration, he said, I am the most expert, well versed in poetry. I know all its forms and the Quran is not poetry. So they can't say this. And then finally they said, why don't we claim he's a sorcerer, a magician? And he said, no, nah, we can't really say he's a sorcerer. We have seen sorcerers and their magic and their tying and untying of knots and all of these practices. And the, mess the Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi he doesn't do this. You know, how can we say he's a sorcerer? So they were going through the list of lists of things that they could lie and label against the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But they all it came to no fruition in that they, they couldn't have any credibility in saying this. Because none of these, uh, you know, these characteristics were not held by the messenger. So basically they went through everything, mentioned everything. And after after Walid said, we can't, you know, say any of this. They said, you know, what what shall we say? Um, SubhanAllah. And, and this is kind of what it led to. And Walid went away and said, let me let me think about it. Walid al-Mughira, he basically went away and wanted to think about what he could say against the messenger. And he thought about it in his own home. He was thinking about it. What can I say against him? And then he came back to his people and he said, this is a profound statement really, he said that by God, there is splendor in what he speaks in essence, meaning the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
He is like a palm tree which gives much fruit. All you have been saying, meaning the people, all you have been saying will not be believed. The closest thing for you to say is that this man is a sorcerer who comes between his, the man and his religion. Become, comes between the man and his father, a man and his brother, a man and his wife and a man and his tribe. Meaning, all of these reasons that you have given, none of them really hold any weight. But if we were to choose one, maybe we can call him a sorcerer. Because he does some magic which you know breaks families apart. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in Al-Muddathir the innermost thoughts of Al-Walid bin Mughira, what he was thinking. In, in uh, Surah Al-Muddathir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّهُ فَكَّرَ وَكَدَّرَ Indeed, meaning Al-Walid, indeed he thought and deliberated. فَقُتِلَ كَيْفَ كَدَّرَ so may he be destroyed for how he deliberated. Then may he be destroyed for how he deliberated. Then he considered again. Then he frowned and scowled. Then he turned back and was arrogant. And, and said, this is not but magic, imitated from others. In hadha illa qawlu al-bashar. This is not but a word of a human being. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sa'uslihi saqar. I will drive him into saqar. Wa ma adraka ma saqar. And what is saqar? La tubqi wa la tadhar. It lets nothing remain and leaves nothing unburned. Scorching the human skin. Over it are 19 angels. Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, even though Al-Walid was in his home, no one could hear him. Forget that he wasn't even saying this aloud. It was in his innermost mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew. Because Allah is the most knowledgeable. And he knew the thought process of Al-Walid. And he is explaining this is how Walid deliberated. And this is what he thought. And this is how he concluded that the closest thing is to call the Messenger a sorcerer, a magician. And that Al-Walid would be destined to the hellfire. He would be destined to Saqr. This hellfire that 19 angels are looking after. Because it's so hot and it leaves nothing unburned. SubhanAllah. And just on a side note, you know, it was Al-Walid, who is Al-Walid? Al-Walid is the father of Khalid bin Walid. The great Khalid bin Walid, who was uh, you know, the general of Islam, uh, a great fighter, and he embraced Islam a while later. Uh, he came to the Messenger of and he was sad, because when he embraced Islam, he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already destined his father uh, for the pits of hell, right? And he was sad, and he asked the Messenger of that, you know, can this be changed? And, and, and the fact is, it can't. Because Walid, he, you know, he... He did these actions and he's the one who spread these lies against the Messenger of Allah. So this is, uh, you know, this is on a side note of, of what uh, Khalid bin Walid uh, said. So really bringing this to a close and to conclude uh, the, the episode today, you know, there are many reasons the Quraysh um, rejected Islam and had this hatred and hostility towards Islam. Many reasons. And we've touched upon a few. I'm sure there are many more. But some of the things we can take away from today is that 
you know, there's some very clear comparisons with the enemies of Islam then, the Quraysh, and the enemies of Islam today, right? So, you know, the fact that they allow us to pray and practice Islam in our homes and, our, and the mosques, you know, the Quraysh, even they weren't against this part of Islam. If Islam remained a ritualistic religion in the, the you know, confined to the homes, they didn't mind. There were Christians amongst them. There were other people of religion. You know, they didn't mind that if there's any kind of ritualistic aspect of religion. But when it came to, when they understood that Islam was more than this, Islam was a, uh, both a spiritual and a political aqidah, which came to challenge the systems, challenge society at large, that's when they had a problem. They knew that now Islam had came to challenge the status quo. And likewise today, you know, the disbelievers, the, the, the enemies of Allah, they are okay with us praying at home. But when we challenge their status quo, when we challenge the systems, and when we speak about Islam being a comprehensive religion, a systematic religion that comes with all these systems, economic system, social system, political system, that's when they have a problem. And, you know, they've tried to conflate all the people that have these system, uh, beliefs into one so that they can say, look, these are the extremists, these are radicals, don't follow them. You know, because they, this is like the Quraysh, this is what they're against. Secondly, you know, we spoke about how Abu Lahab, he, the uncle of the Prophet yes, he had hatred towards Islam, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically spoke about how his wealth will not avail him. You know, his money that he had obtained, all the wealth, all the business that he had done, will not avail him on the Day of Judgment, will not avail him uh, when, when he goes to his grave, he will not take all this away. And yes, it's about Abu Lahab, and none of us, subhanAllah, he's an enemy of Islam, and none of us are, want to be like him. You know, this, this is the worst of the worst. But how many of us have made wealth our cause and our purpose? How many of us are chasing this wealth? As though this is our only thing that we need in, in our lives. What we must recognize, this message to Abu Lahab, this message that Allah is giving, is to us as well. We should not be chasing the wealth as though this is our purpose. Yes, we can, you know, we can work, we can, um, you know, to support our families, and there's nothing wrong with this. But we shouldn't make this our purpose. Our purpose is only to worship Allah. Our purpose is to follow the, the Sunnah, to follow the Messenger, to bring Islam in the realm of life, to obey Allah and stay away from all his prohibitions. Um, and when we die, we won't take our wealth with us. You know, we will take our deeds. We will take uh, what we did for the sake of Islam, what we did for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, the, the enemies of Allah, they try various means to disrupt the da'wah. Back then, Abu Lahab would, you know, try and undo the efforts of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. People, the, the Quraysh and the leaders of Quraysh, they would, you know, create lies against the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to stop the da'wah. And today, you know, they do something similar. They find many ways to disrupt the da'wah. They pay many people to kind of disrupt the da'wah and distract Muslims from understanding Islam, how it should be understood. Um, you know, on a grand scale, not, not from a... Uh, people perspective on a, on a grand uh, you know they spend billions doing this but what we must recognize is that look we have to carry on as the prophet ﷺ did he didn't let it you know um, cause him to um, become you know what's the word uh, defeatist or become defeated in his da'wah he carried on likewise we must do this we must carry on know that we have these challenges but continue in our mission continue to give da'wah and the message of islam because we have the truth and we also have allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the greatest on our sides um, and finally the final point i want to make is that look islam will not be spread through adab and good manners right having adab and having good manners and speaking well 
is what makes you know this is part of being a Muslim. We have to have this in the sense that is it's not something that is the cause of someone becoming a Muslim. But as Muslims, we have this because we follow the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But recognize that this isn't the way to make people believe in Islam, or this isn't the way to make people come towards Islam, because the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam had the best adab, he had the best manners, right? He was known to be a sadiq al-amin, the truthful and the trustworthy. But they still rejected him. Even though they said, look, you've never heard you say a lie. They still rejected him. So now recognize that this is not what people will come to. We have this. We do this. We respect people. We respect everyone. But know that we need to be blunt and we need to be truthful and speak plainly. Give the message plainly and clearly. And only this way will you know people will come to Islam, come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah, Look, I pray that you have benefited from this episode. And like I always say, please share. Please, uh, you know, ensure that other people can benefit from this episode. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Aqooli qooli hada. Wa astaghfirullahi wa lakum wa lisa'il muslimina. Fa astaghfiruhu innahu huwa al-ghafuru rahim.